You're listening to the Adventurous Weirdos Podcast by WatcherDM. Learn more at WatcherDM.com or come join our Patreon at Patreon.com slash WatcherDM. Stay weird. Austin, home. Gabriel Hernandez. Those are our names. Stop. We got them. Well, I'm Gabriel Hernandez and this is Austin Home. We are Watcher DM mm-hmm. and Quest Giver Games Limited. LTD. And LTD. And uh, this is the Adventurous Weirdos podcast. So mm-hmm. you, Adventurous Weirdos, have found your way home. Yes. Today we're talking about, uh, I think in honor of Halloween, we're going to talk about cobbling together our favorite Halloweenies. Our a Frankenstein edition of D&D out of the parts of the various dead editions that have piled up on our bookcases. I think calling them dead editions is probably more fair than I want to admit. Yeah, it's spooky season. But there is still, there's a thriving, throbbing That's first true. edition community out there. An undead community, one might say. <laughs> An undead community. Um, but I was even watching, there was a, a YouTuber the other day I was watching that was playing second edition, yeah. unironically. And I was like, that's my people. Yeah. They're still out there. So what? let's start with, what, what version did you start with? You know, I started with, I think, I think I started with the same edition everybody starts with, which is your buddy's recollection of how <laughs> first or second edition worked. Uh, but the first edition that I had the books for and I really got into was third. Yeah. Um, that was, I remember I went to the game store with my dad. I was already to buy the books. And the guy looked me in the eye and he said, listen, kid, uh, there's a whole new edition coming out next month. Don't, don't buy these second edition books. Come back, come back in a month. I'll sell you the new stuff. And I did. And uh, yeah, since then, I've been wasting my money on RPG books ever since. Um, but, Pretty fair. That's yeah. fair. I don't know. I, I think about that now within the context of us designing stuff and is there such a thing as a wasted as a wasted rpg like i own books that i i've only ever read and will probably never run at this point but still it's like the roadmap for what not to do that's true is nice and vividly painted with yeah i feel like uh, lots of typeface book of vile darkness for third edition probably falls into that camp where i read it and i was like this is bad and also dumb uh, but it probably kept me from doing bad, dumb things at my table for a couple of years, just being like... So you know where that line yeah, is? Yeah, you're just like, on second thought, I don't, I don't need I don't D&D need to, to be... Yeah, I don't need D&D to be that edgy. Yeah. Uh, but what about you? What, what edition did you start with? So I, my first actual game that I played was second edition, and mm-hmm. it was the... My friend Spencer had gotten the Menzo Baranzan Underdark yeah, yeah. set. Like the box set. Nice. And so we were playing. My first experience was playing a drow. Nice. And I was like, this is so fucking cool. Yeah. And then, uh, so that was my first Dungeons and Dragons experience. Okay. At which point I couldn't afford books for Dungeons and Dragons. But I did find, it was by GURPS or Palladium. <laughs> there was a book called Recon. And it was a Vietnam oh, War yeah, yeah. RPG. And you like picked an MOS and like went and just lived like a shitty grunt in the jungle. <laughs> and uh, I never played it. I always wanted to. I, I never played it. And then there was this really weird RPG that I found. It was likewise like a discount dollar store bin. Yeah, yeah. And it was like uh um, it was like Knights of like Knights of the Round Table, but like cyber. That's it was like cool. the cyber Arthurian legend. 
I've been looking for it ever since. I, I actually do not. If anybody knows what this game is called, comment. Send me a carrier pigeon. Yeah. Let me know somehow. Skywriting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ibrahim's. Uh, I have a. I invented a spell that allows you to write in the sky uh. before they added the skywriting spell. <laughs> uh, I also just published a, a blog post about my Google spell. That's right. I that saw I that. Invented. I didn't read it yet. Uh, it's not. It's just. I'm just pointing at it and going. Did you know that this spell exists? It's on D and D Beyond. You know, I was actually reading uh, the blog again last night. Uh, oh, it's apropos of nothing, but I reread the Kenku post that Chelsea wrote. So good. So good. Uh, maybe you want to play a Kenku again. Yeah. But anyway. Wenku. Uh, play Kenku. Yeah, when Wenku. Um soon. Okay. So so we're talking about our Frankenweenie yeah. Frankenstein Let's D&D carve version. up those old editions into their component parts, choose the best from each, and bring them back together into a semi cohesive whole. Sure. Um now should we start by admitting I think the elephant in the room? I don't think the the melee attack has changed dramatically from first edition. Yeah, I mean there is there's some power curving stuff like uh absolutely there's power curving stuff. Yeah. But all that stuff comes down to like weapon design. Or like what the numbers do you get an extra plus one every uh you know every uh, level, every two levels? Right. The base attack bonus in third edition where you got up to like you know, I'm a level 20 fighter, so I got a plus 20 for my base attack bonus. I got a plus 6 for my strength because I got 22 strength at this point. And I got, you know, circumstantial plus 2s from this and that and blah, blah, blah. You know, I love 3rd edition very, very much. But uh, I think I think base attack bonus is probably best left on the dust heap of history. Oh, yeah, a sure. A little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there are definitely, like, you know, the, the core of the game has not really changed. Right. I mean, and ultimately, I guess what I'm saying is we can skip over the part where, yeah, rolling a d20 to hit yeah. and rolling damage is We're, fine. I'm in favor of d20s. That's going to be a hot take in the RPG community these days. But I think a <laughs> d20 works just fine. I, uh, it's actually funny that it, that was considered kind of part of the big revolution with Dungeons and & Dragons and, and Chainmail in particular. It was like, because before that, they were just using d6s. d6s uh, and Gary had come up with uh, a can with shreds of paper <laughs> that was like a, a one in 20 dice yeah, simulator. The 5% and it was, Yeah, and it wasn't until way after that they found a, a, a math, man, it was a math company. It was like a mathematics, like toys company huh. out in California that printed polyhedral dice. Really? And that was like the, oh, we can get these now. Yeah. And getting a, yeah, getting a costhedral dice was, really interesting. yeah, it's a super, oh man, this, the books I've been reading lately. I'm a, so I dove yeah. back into Empire of Imagination and playing uh, at the world. Playing at the world. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to lend you those. I, yeah, I'd love to read them. Cool. Anyway, um, uh, so the basics of combat, I think, we'll say are well, they haven't changed. They're fairly similar. I mean, I think there's there's some stuff to talk about, like um, initiative. I think has changed a That's lot. That's changed enormously. Yeah. yeah. Um, things like. Um, I mean, I mean you, you, you can get down to it a little more, more modularly, but yeah, you're right. The bones are... We're not Frankensteining the bones. I think the bones are the same. I think they're the same. With they're the not... exception of 4th edition, which got a little more kind of... Even there, the basic attack was still the same. You're still it rolling was, you dice. Roll, you add a modifier, you do some damage. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. Is like, that's, that is D&D. Like, yeah. if, you, if you had to like have the DNA 
yeah. that went and like the way we've still got like the thing that snails have that ha does the yeah. same thing that pine trees have. Like, you know, there's some characteristic of that cell membrane yes. that is identical. And, and that cell and membrane is the D20. That's the D20. Yeah. And 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 rolling to hit and Can rolling I for kick damage. This asshole off a cliff. Right. Roll and die. <laughs> right. Right. So we'll we'll call that untouchable. That's like, it, no point in get and bring it up. Sure. But I think the first deviation to talk about, and you, you brought it up, is initiative. Sure. So favorite initiative system. Yeah. You know, I'm a I'm a big proponent of side initiative. Um, I. We, like, we've been playing Lamentations lately, and Lamentations of the Flame Princess. And holy crap, does side initiative make things go quickly, uh, especially when you've got a party of, you know, a lot of our, our team is, uh, you know, they're playing hit it with my axe characters a little bit. Um, it's true. Which, if that's what you're doing, it's so convenient just to be like, okay, it's your turn. Everybody roll. Like, you know, like, let me know, like, you know, let's let's just get this combat moving and one of the things i don't like about fifth is how incredibly long combat takes all the time and i think a big part of it is because only you're only asking one player to be engaged at any given time and everybody else is like audience which is not great um sure. and uh because you're only kind of it's like you've got a spotlight that's moving from person to person it slows people down because they're getting like as a player, you're you don't know what the situation's going to be on your turn until it gets to your turn, and then you have to make a decision based on that information, uh, which is always going to be plotting in my mind. Um, so, I, I will say I've actually I did not when I first started playing, mm -hmm. I did not have that perception of how initiative worked. Mm -hmm. I think the second edition was like you roll a d10, okay, and then it was in order d10, but uh, the way that I actually played Dungeons and Dragons at the time was I would just fire up around the table. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What yeah. are you doing? Without, don't roll. Don't bother. Yeah. Right. Once I know what you're doing, I will call for your roles in order and narrate the action as it happens, which prevented people from stacking on each other's or reacting to other people's actions within the same turn. Mm -hmm. The idea being that you just tell me what you're trying to do that round and yeah. then you go. Um, there's also a variation on side initiative that I know of that I think is is core D&D. It actually comes from Chainmail and like from the old wargaming, which is like, yes, it's side D&D, &D, but then within, or it's, it's side initiative, but then within that, you're, you've got missile attack, melee or missile is it like move missile melee magic yeah and so like what you're doing has an impact on where you fall even within your own turn order mm -hmm. i thought that was always a really interesting that does variation. kind of help uh i think with the the perennial caster problem that pops up in different D D editions of like you know being a caster is a lot of fun, but it, it, you can kind of take up a little more space than some other classes sometimes because you've got a big list of stuff you can do. Putting you at the end of the turn, I feel like, helps kind of balance that a little bit. Sleep can make for a very boring round. Yeah, <laughs> yes. the sleep spell is, is one of those. Um, it's great fiction. It's, I mean, it works great for the fantasy. Mm -hmm. It can be difficult, though, because it's either useless or OP. Like, uh, there's very few situations, I feel like, where the sleep spell is like, you're like, this is a measured response that will move my party <laughs> incrementally towards victory. <laughs> like, it's usually just like, oh, like, do we do we knock them out and murder them in their sleep? Or are they, is it not going to work? <laughs> you know? 
that's fair. That's yeah. pretty fair. Are they too powerful for this? Yeah. Is the other. Um, cool. So okay. So your favorite is side initiative. I think so. Yeah. Uh, I I would I'm gonna mulligan on this one and say homebrew. Yeah. All right. Uh, I just around the table. Yeah. And I like doing it where around the table where I will interject monsters. Yeah. In between member actions at my discretion. That's interesting. For for tension. You were doing that a little bit, not interjecting, but just doing around the table when we played Index Card RPG the other week. Index Card RPG explicitly has that yeah. as, as a rule. Now, it's not a D&Dism per no. se, but if I had to Frankenstein my favorite yeah. D&D, I would just homebrew that in. <laughs> if, we're, uh, if we're eating off of our neighbor's tables here a little bit, uh, yeah. what, do you, what do you think about the Troika initiative system? It Are is you... hot garbage. <laughs> you don't like it? No, I love it. Yeah. I love it, but I think it's bad. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so I'm just It gonna... wouldn't work with D&D. Yeah, interesting. I'm just getting back from Penticon. I was at the Penticton Nerd Convention, which was yeah. awesome. Penticon 2024, hope to see you there. Yeah, we're going, for sure. Uh, but uh, the guy, this guy, uh, the barbarian at our, our first table we played with, he was telling me that he was basically using, I mean, he was like, you know, I invented this 20 years ago in the dawn of days, but uh, he was like basically explaining that he used a Troika-like system for D D initiative where you wrote your name on a thing and you had like an end of round shit and you scramble them all together and then you draw whose turn it is and i know they say in the troika rule book that part of the reason they do that is to kind of simulate the chaos of combat and the idea that you might just you might spend a round kind of looking around being like ah it's yeah. panic failing to make any meaningful contact yeah. with the enemy. yeah which i mean it's not for every D game for sure like sometimes I would say it doesn't work for D&D specifically mm -hmm. because your enemy cannot damage you on your attack. Yeah. So the reason it works for Troika is because, is because if, if, I attack, if the monster attacks a PC in Troika and the PC wins the roll, they do the damage. PC does damage to the enemy. Yeah. This is actually how Troika solves action economy, mm -hmm. and it's fantastic. It's really it's great. It's the solution for action economy. You pointed out, too, I think, when you were talking about running one-on-one uh, -on -one games in Troika, how well it accomplishes like party balance issues as well, where it's like, you don't need... It's not like this is for this many PCs. You can just have any number of PCs, and the combat will kind of... I mean, there is a bit of a curve, but like mostly things will just kind of work themselves out. Largely, the thing you have to look out for in there is having too high of a skill number. Yeah. If the skill on the enemies is too high and your and your PC doesn't have a good weapon skill, a good weapon skill or good... the Actually, the trickiest bit, in my opinion, in Troika is running. The way that running works it is, is a contested terrible. Check. Yeah. Yeah. It basically means you you it's very likely you will never escape. Yeah. If, unless if you you're have... losing a fight, you're probably not getting away. Exactly. And that's that's a pretty shitty but I mean you, that's not what that system is for. No. Right. It, and that's Hijinks. kind of what exactly. <laughs> that's actually one of the things that I like. I think the benefit of that in Troika is that it encourages you to kind of go the other way with it yeah. and try and whip out your crazy etiquette skill and out etiquette the enemy or, you know, d yeah. diplomacy skill and like convince them that you're actually in the middle of a treaty time at lunch. You know, it's like, no, 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 we can't fight right now. 30 minutes yeah. tea. You know, do a Bugs Bunny. Yeah. You're doing a Bugs Bunny. And I think like the Bugs Bunnying that you can get away with in Troika is kind of why that game works very shines. Well. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. The hardest part with that is actually convincing players that that's okay. That that's how it works. That's yeah. how the universe works. Like, so yeah, that's that's kind of my 
my hot take on that. So um, to bring it back to D&D then a little bit, yeah. uh, how about character creation? I feel like that's usually right at the front of the book. Uh, sadly. Sadly, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, a good example of play might be nice, but oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves maybe. Yeah, uh, no, I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. Like the the least interesting thing about character creation so dungeons and dragons character creation best version mm -hmm. uh basic dnd yes 100 percent agree right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and for the flat reason that it's the only one you can get through in like less than 10 minutes yeah it's fast and i'd also like to shout out that i feel like um elves dwarves and halflings i feel like as classes yeah races class i'm a big big fan of because I am so tired of people being like, I'm an elf. And it's like, okay, well, like, that's, that's an interesting thing. Like, fictionally, it's like, oh, an, an elf, that's an interesting thing to be because it's not human. So how are you going to play that? Well, I'm going to play it exactly as if I was human. I'm going to ignore the fact that I'm 300 years old. I'm going to work for money. I'm going to, you know, it's just like you, you're a human with pointy ears. And, you know, it really takes, I think, the magic out of being an elf. Whereas to be, you know, to kind of be like, yeah, elf is a class. It's halfway between magic user and fighter. You can do some fighter things. You can do some magic user things. Really helps carve out, I think, an interesting niche uh, for, for elves. And especially, I, I honestly, I even like the idea that there are level caps uh, that are a little bit lower for demi-humans than for, uh, you know, fighters or wizards. or Sure. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Speed is speed is the main thing. Speed is the main thing. The lack of complexity mm -hmm. is is valuable, I think, especially for new players. But even for old hat players, like there's a lot of value in taking the simple aspects of the those core classes, those core I identities, and then making them your own in a narrative sense. Yes. Without needing to have the like masturbatory justification of a mechanical yeah. aspect. Now, that said, right, I think there's interesting things done in modern D&D, &D, uh, you know, with the subclasses and the kits. And, like, I really enjoyed one of my favorite times of, of playing D&D &D was in second edition when you had the splat books. Mm -hmm. And those books were full of player options. Yeah. They were all over the place. One of the things that they did really, I, I, I thought really well at the time, I've rethought this since, was proficiencies, mm -hmm. is those kits came with proficiencies that I thought were interesting and evocative and kind of, they were they were like narrative skills yeah. that you would kind of apply to your character. And that was, that was always really cool. But then they would have these like abilities and stuff that were kind of in there. They weren't really like feats like you got with, I think three, you yeah. kind of got feats and, and all the way into five, fifth edition you got feats. Feats are one thing I would maybe trickle back to that, uh like bx style character creation because i like the like like you say like it's nice to be able to roll something up in five minutes but once you hit level three it's kind of fun to be like you know what i'm going to take a little widget yeah a little, yeah this guy this guy's got three hit dice now he's probably going to make it another game yeah. i might as well get he a has figured out how to subtly cast a spell yeah you know? yeah, right? yeah that's fun no I, th I think that's a good point and yeah i think uh feats are something that i don't i don't know that i would backport feats as they exist in 5th edition no. so much as what I would probably want to do in a, again in a custom Frankenstein version of D&D is after playing with these characters I would try and 
pin out what I think would be a cool ability for them to evolve mm -hmm. and try and work with the player to develop it yeah and have it be custom that character it's so very kind of like dm and player collab to exactly and i think like you could, could be hard. you could but it, it's almost not necessary because you're customizing your dnd to kind of for that table yeah right so like yes it could be hard but also I helped you develop the thing. Yeah, like it's it's kind of on me if you're over if it's overpowered. It at work. which point I can have the conversation with you and say, hey, you know, this is actually really throwing some things off. How can we tone it? How can we do that narratively? Mm -hmm. Maybe you lose the power. Maybe the power changes. You know, over time becomes something else. Like five of your seven hyenas find another pack. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, uh... <laughs> okay, so yeah, I think we both know what that was about. Uh, hey, have you played with uh, anything that can summon animals in Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition? Yeah. Do you also have a party of fourteen things on the 14 table? Fourteen hyenas, and yeah, well, like there's trick action economy for you once again. Eh? Oh, and I think like action economy as the problem space. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've seen anything that tackles it the way that Troika does. Mm -hmm. Troika's got a really, really fun way of solving it. Although, arguably, and I have not played it, so don't take my word for it, but I think that um, Argon game mm -hmm. also, That's like, it's, it just solves action economy. It doesn't ha you don't have the problem of action economy, which I think is, you know, if you're, yeah, I think if you're really trying to get under the hood of, like, how balance works, you're you're basically fighting an action economy war of attrition, right? Mm -hmm. uh, interesting. Saving throws. Oh, I got I got some stuff to say about saving throws. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, the original BX version of saving throws, the save versus paralysis, save versus death, save versus poison, save versus wands, save. I fucking hate it. It's like, terrible. It's so bad. It's so dumb. And it's very arbitrary. It's totally arbitrary. And like as a DM, very weird. Yeah, like it's like it's too like um, in in Barhack in our Lamentations game, we have one of the common enemies are these little fly-headed goblins who shoot paralytic poisons. Mm -hmm. Was that a save versus poison or is that a save versus paralysis? <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like it's just it's so arbitrary. And and at the same time, you know I'm I I really liked it when Fifth came out the the ability checks as saving throws like they just you make a strength save or like i really really like that when when fifth came out and the more i play fifth the less i like it um i find that it makes certain spells really overpowered um i find because like you know if it's one of the things where you're like oh like int that's a rare saving throw proficiency like you know it's uh you run into things where, like, I'm trying to think of the name of that one specific spell that uh, came out of Tashes that drove everybody crazy. Mind Silvery or barbs. Silvery barbs, yeah. Charisma uh, saving throw. Yeah, that's like, uh, or, or a little while ago when we were playing 5th edition, we were playing Pixels and Pagans, uh, the Banish spell, I believe, works off a of Charisma saving throw, and it's just, you're going to look at that. All right, we're going to do a quick back check. Uh, but uh, Keep talking. Like, it it's really really frustrating as a dm to be like oh it's a golem that has three charisma because you know it has no personality and people are like aha i have a charisma saving throw spell that i'm going you know what i mean like it just like it it can be frustrating and i find that it also necessitates that every single monster needs to have six ability scores 
and also you need to decide where they're proficient in their saves which is so much bulk on a monster stat block compared to just being like saves as a fighter saves as a magic user um interesting and, so using the hit dice with the saves as a yeah part of me wonders mm. like i really think the best way to do it is the third edition way where you have the three saving throws you've got fortitude reflex and wisdom saves uh and you are like you know defining what a monster saves are is as simple as saying it's an eight hit dice monster and it gets you know good fortitude saves like it's like that's it's because you'll you recall in third edition they have like strong saves and weak saves was kind of how they did it and then as you went up and hit dice it was like either you got uh jesus what was it it's like you know your level plus one on a good save or like half your level on a bad save or something right uh -huh. um which also avoided the problem in fifth edition where if you're not proficient in a save you're essentially saving as a first level character in that save because you're not applying your proficiency bonus right um yeah which uh i feel like can be a little bit Punishing. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with those big boss monsters where you're like, it's a stone golem, like it's a threat to your intent. You're like, yeah, I banish it. And you're just like, oh, okay, he gets a plus, he gets a minus four on that save. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's fair. I don't think that, like, I think if you're throwing stone golems at um, wizards, yeah, banished. and they have the banish spell, like, get banished. you. You just deal with that by having two stone golems. That's like they can only banish one at a time, right? Like you, I think as a DM, if you know that that's going to happen, it, and you don't want to be frustrated by it, you've you got around it a little bit. Pad the encounter with a with a lightning rod. I, Mike Shea talks about this, right? Where he's like, "Yeah, your lightning rod abilities that you know you want to give them a big juice, give, give them a big target to get out of the way, and then you know, kind of deal with it." That's like a good good place to put a fat demon. You know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, See, the thing is, though, in that case, you know, if they roll a 20 on their saving throw, now you've got a deadly encounter on your hands because you have two hard encounters at once or whatever, right? Yeah. All right. Live and let die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, it roll, let the dice roll, man. Let the, like, um, if they hadn't terrified you with their banish, they wouldn't have had to die like that. There you go. <laughs> this is your fault for, for taking. If banish. you haven't learned how to blame your players yet, man, you got there a lot more go. DMing to do. Take this. <laughs> um, one of the things I like about the Fortitude Reflex Wisdom save as well is I think it. Uh, oh. Got some French accordion yeah, passing mimes. Uh, yeah, one of the things I like about Fortitude Reflex and Wisdom Saving Throws is I feel like it works really well with the seven base classes of BX, where, you know, I think you could give demi-humans two strong saves, so, like, elves could have good will and uh, reflex saves, you know, right. doors would have good will and fortitude, halflings would have good reflex and fortitude, and then, you know, fighters get good fortitude, clerics get good will, and, you know, thieves specialists get good reflex, and... I really like wizards getting no fucking saves. Uh, I know I said this to you yesterday. I said wizards eat shit and die, and you were like, "Hold the phone." Uh, but like, honestly, I am a pretty consistent wizard player. So I, I are you? Like, I like I like playing wizards. I it's, think of you as a cleric guy. I mean, I play clerics a lot, but that's just because I play with other people. That's a good point. And like as a DM, 
Yeah. You're like, well, I could be a wizard and nuke everything in sight and have a fun game. Yeah. Or I can play a cleric and basically do the same thing, but be able to save the party if one should hit the fan. Good point. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's always kind of bothered me a little bit that wizards get good will saves or good saves against magic or something. I kind of feel like as a wizard, you should be extra vulnerable to, <laughs> to all that shit. That's fair. I think that's an interesting narrative way to take wizards. Mm. Sorcerers, I feel like, are they're more that. Like to me, a wizard is a studied magic user. So to to like the Cole school of abjuration mm. is the design of spells yeah. to protect you from from magical, you know, fallibility. And like that's critical to the, I think. The fiction of a wizard, okay. the salt circle, the summoning circle. Like, I love me a good do, salt circle. You do, yeah, yeah, you do dangerous shit, and so you take lots of precautions. Okay. Um, versus the sorcerer who is just accidentally magical, does not really fathom the, the powers that they're dealing with and that they can interact with, and so to me seems like a better candidate for that type of frailty. That's a really interesting point. I, let me ask you this. Who, when you think wizard, what who's who, what pops into your mind? Merlin. Merlin. Interesting. Uh, John D. John, yeah. Well. All right. Uh, fair enough. Um, see, when I think wizard, I think Rincewind uh, from Discworld. You ever read those? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Where it's like everything is like like a librarian's and orangutan, and like like wizards learn magic. But they don't use it because they know better. Like you know, like that's fair. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you're, first of all, let's be honest. If you're basing your notions of fantasy on Pratchett, you're kind of off the path. That's right? fair. You're, you're into Troika land. Yeah, anyway, you're yeah. doing weird shit, and that's fine. I think that's great. Like, I, I just, you know, my so my conception of wizards comes from historical wizards. I I like the John D's, the John D's, the Aleister Crowley's. I. Not that these are good men, I just think they're interesting characters, totally, yeah. and that their devotion to the study of, of the arcane is, it's its own, uh, you know, it, it's got its own kind of vibe, it's its own totally. flavor, it's a taste that is interesting and bizarre, and uh, I think it's, it makes for a good fantasy. That said, no, nobody within that cadre of people could even come close to claiming to do half of the stuff in the yeah, first level right. spellbook. Of a D and D wizard. Well, there is that. Um, oh God, that that uh, what's his name? Abramelin. Uh, yeah, Abramelin uh, the mage. Yeah. Well, like um, you get into he, some. I feel like his biggest work that he claimed was that he summoned a regiment, right? He uh, he summoned an army. He had yeah, yeah. He had claimed to summon an army, which is a pretty uh, you know like that's a ninth level spell if I've ever. Nine one one, man. Summon band of killers. Well, phones are magic too. But, right. Yeah. And, well, actually, I think that's the that's kind of the counterpoint, right? Is if you look at like the magic of Abramelin the Mage or Alistair Crowley or any of these guys, what they were doing, and actually, I think the farther back you go, the more pointed it is. What their spells do are very explicit. Mm -hmm. They help you find lost treasure. Mm -hmm. They help you protect your stupid kingdom. Yeah. Like they're for. They're for somebody with a beard to sell an imaginary job to a guy who owns land. Mm -hmm. Like, that's kind of what it's designed to do. Yeah. So all the spells that you see are about doing that. They're about, you know, foretelling when you're going to 
when you're going to be attacked next mm-hmm. or knowing the heart of your enemy. It's, uh, you know, protecting your child, you know, or ensuring that you will have an heir, mm-hmm. you know, really bizarre magics, but those are like, that's what magic was for. Yeah. For humans. It's mostly sex, you know, sex, magic, death, magic. Interesting. And then you've got the necromancy, which is really Speaking. the juice is always all about speaking to the dead. It's yeah. all about, you know, getting information. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Interesting. We should, throws. You know what? Let's throw this down to another episode. We should talk uh, next time about the differences between real-life occult practices and the Vancean style of D&D. That's a good topic for next time. Next time, let's actually talk about how we would, f- like, Let's Frankenstein the magic system. Oh, okay. All right. For for D and D, because I, I I have opinions about that too. Like I'm not a huge Vancian magic fan. You know, I never was, but I actually just read Dying Earth for the first time, and uh, I'm, I'm going through Moorcock right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, El- Elric. El- Elric, yeah. Yeah, nice. I, I gotta get. I gotta read. I haven't read that stuff since I was in high school. Is that, be, to be fair, I'm doing audiobook okay, about actually a, a learned man. <laughs> I never learned to read. I got the milk eyes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, so saving throws. I, I I came down pretty hard in favor of a, of third, a edition. third edition there. What yeah. do you think? Uh, I, I'm going to keep the fifth edition. Yeah? Yeah, uh, for reasons that are probably entirely selfish. But yeah, I, I just feel like they work fine. Yeah. The thing about it is that, like one of the reasons that I don't like having levels affect saving throws mm-hmm. across the board is that uh, it doesn't work with the flat math. and I find that fifth edition's flat math is actually better mm-hmm. by and large. I do like the flat than math. what we had before. That's true. So if I had to, if it was a trade up, mm-hmm. I would say I'd, I'd keep the flat math. I would just keep the stats. Also, I like the idea of an intelligence saving throw. I like the idea of a charisma saving throw. I think if there's a weakness in those notions, is that they aren't used enough, sure. or that there's not enough power in the DM toolkit to adjust it when it's fun, when it's narratively fun. To say, you know, oh, you, you save versus this trap, but the trap's kind of like a Rube's, Rube Goldberg machine. So you're going to need to make an intelligence save to, to kind of get what the in. fuck is going on yeah. here and like Stop understand it. it before it spits you out. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think like there's, that a lot. I think there's some juice in there that you could really squeeze dry. I think the if there's a real downside to that, it's that like that's not for. The novice DM, yeah. right? You're not going to be able to find that lever to do it on the fly early enough and and use it in an interesting way. Yeah, I did really like Shadow Dark, uh, the new Kelsey Dion uh, system for just being like there are no saves. You make a check, like you know, like uh, I, and I think that's that's effectively what I'm saying. Yeah, the proficiency in saving throws as a class mechanism, I think, is okay. Whatever, it's basically a way of saying okay when you level up you're going to get some benefit to your saving throws. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if it was Shadow Dark's saving throw system, I would be just as happy. I don't really particularly care. What you're getting with her system is that flat math. Yeah. Yeah. Love a good flat math. Yeah. And I think the the thing about Chelsea Dion's system, Kelsey Kelsey Dion's system, and this is not to disparage her system at all, because I think it's really good and clever, is... uh, I don't. I don't know anybody who's a tenth level Shadow Dark character. <laughs> I don't think they fucking exist. If I'm being honest. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Um, and yeah. it, it's 
it's entirely possible that they never will. Yeah. Like the system is designed to be deadly. It's designed to be a funnel. It's designed to be kind of this thing that yeah. is supposed to be extremely rare high level characters. Interesting. And so I doubt with some, I think, reasonable assurance. What the fuck was that? It was a cat. Ah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, I think with some assurance that it has not been tested so thoroughly at those high levels. Yeah. Well, you know, we let's uh, we got to break into that and play that soon. It's coming in the mail eventually. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got the. All right. I got the crazy. You got the crazy. I got the crazy. Yeah. You know me. I'm stupid. I was, uh, <laughs> stupid for crazy. I, I, yeah, stupid for crazy. I got Mothership <laughs> First Edition box set coming. I got the Shadow Dark. Okay. Kick, kickstart. I haven't read the PDF because I'm. I want to. You want to get the. Book. I want to touch the book. I'm, the the cover the is book. the. Click it's the, the gold leaf. Yeah. Engraved front. Uh, and uh, I know. I know. I know. Production ah. value. God damn it. Yeah, it's so sexy. I just, just want to cuddle it <laughs> to sleep at night. And yeah. Uh, what else are we talking about? We got saving throws. Saving throws. Thacko. And I, I only brought up Thacko. I, I thought of Thacko because second edition had Thacko. Mm-hmm. And did third edition? Third edition no, didn't have that. Third, third edition was the first base one. attack bonus. Right, base attack bonus. Ascending AC. And I I seem to recall at some point in my second edition journey throwing my hands in the air and saying, why is this so fucking complicated? And just switching it around. Yeah. And just handing it to a new player that way. Yep. And they were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. I was like, yeah, it does make sense. But there was a there was a problem with it, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, like just doing that, and I think it was you. You basically, you basically exposed the reality that like there isn't flat math in mm-hmm. in second edition. There's some weird curves on the Thacko. Some system. really weird curves on the Thacko system, and, yeah. and uh, adding your your modifiers. So Thacko, I think we both get it get, get it, it out, out of here. here. And what's funny is that actually is the root. Like if if we were to say like that's the DNA strand is the attack roll. Yeah. Thacko was kind of like the Neanderthal, sure. You know, dying off from the yeah. hominid, um, because it was there from the beginning, all the way until second edition. Yeah, it had a good thirty year crazy run almost. thirty year run. Nuts. Skills, skills and proficiencies. So you were saying you like the lamentations. Skill I system. Do. I love the lamentation skill system. I think it's really, really clever. Um, I am not a fan of the third edition skill system. What um, was the third edition skill system? Oh god, it was the the class skills and cross class skills, okay. where you got skill points every level, and yeah. at first level you got four times skill points, and you could have a skill cap if it was a if it was a class skill, you could have as many ranks in it as your level plus three. But if it was a cross class skill, you could not do that, and you could think you could only have as many as your level. And it was like if it's a cross class skill, your points only got you half a rank, and it's just the math was Pathfinder math, where it's like you know, oh, it's a DC <laughs> fucking forty, like, but good thing you have a plus thirty three, so you know, yeah, uh, like just and and I mean like there's some great like I don't like there you ever read the that copy pasta the Sir Barrington. Oh my god. Okay, so in third edition, uh you could deception you could use to fake that you spoke a language that you didn't actually speak. Uh and it was like a DC like 13 or 40. It was a, it was a high DC. But this guy somehow convinced his DM to let him play a bear 
and he had a good he like he took some rogue levels or something so okay. he could fake that he spoke english and throughout the entire campaign he'd be rolling to fake common until finally and then pretend he was a person until at the end of the campaign finally he rolled a one and somebody was like hey this guy's a bear and they like they were like oh yeah like they escort the but like the screaming butler out of the room as he yells that you're a bear and everybody's like i'm so sorry sir barrington like please please forgive the butler he's new like um <laughs> which like uh, I, I love that stuff like i love like you rolled uh you got a nat 20 and you have a plus 20 on your sleight of hand you fucking stole his heart baby like you ripped yeah. it out of his but yeah. it's also very farcical like um i mean it's farcical but it's also that's it's it's good fun storytelling mm -hmm. and i think like it depends on what you're at the table what you're trying to do at the table mm -hmm. But if you're willing to go there with your party and have that kind of fun, mm -hmm. you can have a much more gratifying experience than I think you will if you are trying to retell the Wheel of Time, for instance, right? Like, and I think that that might be one of the traps that DMs fall into often is that they have serious, they have a serious mentality about the fiction they're trying to emulate or the the experience they're trying to present at the table, and they're kind of unwilling to accept. Yeah. that it's just technically more fun to laugh with your friends yeah. and, and have that good time uh, and, and then enjoy the seriousness when it, when it works mm -hmm. because seriousness works when people buy in, when people buy in and people buy in when they're engaged and invested, it almost all always like I've had some, some games where, you know, the table was crying, yeah. you know, like legitimately emotional things happening at the table and almost bar none they were towards the end of sessions where we had spent the whole time joking. laughing and joking and connecting and building an emotional bond together that then turned into when i reached for tragedy they reached with me and we got there together it's interesting that you say that um i when i was younger one of my my former favorite writers who turned out to be a shit heel and i'm mad at him uh, uh don't ever admire anyone is the <laughs> yeah, lesson people are bad <laughs> yeah humans suck yeah uh and uh, yeah your heroes will make you regret lousy meatbags uh anyway go but, on but um he, he had an axiom that the the basic structure like he was like the the trick of television basically is that you introduce a character that character is funny you care about the funny guy. The funny guy dies. We all cry that the funny guy is gone. Like that's the that's how you do that's tragedy. Like yeah. you know, like um, it's a comedy until it's not. Yeah, like yeah. It, it, like life, like yeah. If it's not funny, then when bad things happen, it's kind of like, well, these are sad people. They live sad. You know, like um, but uh, but anyway, I uh, to pull it back to the lamentation skill system. Yeah, skills, um, skills, and purposes. I think. I really, really like that system because I feel like it's very easy as a DM to pull numbers out of your ass and be like, uh, you know, this door is stuck, but an average guy has about a 50% chance of opening this door. So it's a three and six door. You have a plus two to open doors. So you need to roll a five or lower to kick down the stuck door. Like it's very fast and, uh, you know, getting a bonus, getting a plus one bonus on a D6 is nice and meaty. Um, if you have like, you know, if you have 18 intelligence and lamentations and you have that plus three bonus to languages, like that's kind of worth building a character around almost depending, depending on the DM, like, but in my game, 
where I don't I don't know if you've noticed, but like basically everything is behind a language gate, and none of you guys have any language skills. Uh, so it's been it's been a little. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, my character has no idea yeah. what anybody is talking about. He Ever. just kills things um, for fun and profit. But I feel like you know, I feel like it's a good breakdown of skills in Lamentations. I like it a hell of a lot better than the BX that awful thief skill chart with the percentile die it makes me want to pull my hair out. So I'll I'll say actually I think there's there's two things here. Mm-hmm. One is how do you treat the thief class? Sure, because it is a particular collection of skills how you do it and the fact that thieves can do it specialists can do it yeah. in lamentations is its own critter mm-hmm. um in second edition this was also shared with the bard bard had some subset of the thieves skills that mm-hmm. was an interesting part of what made a bard a bard um and so taking that skill system i would or I, I'd probably go with you and say, yeah, Lamentations probably has one of the better implementations of it. I don't think that it's that great, but it is way fucking better than Percentile Die. Mm-hmm. Percentile Die being the default across the board, which, like, Blue Home has Percentile Die. Uh, uh, I think all, all the BX... OSC. Yeah, OSC has the Percentile Die stuff. Now, the cool thing about Percentile Die is that it's the thing we already think in. Mm-hmm. we think in terms of percentages it's an easy you said it yourself 50 percent of the time that's a one and three that's a three and six yeah well it's also a 50 and 100 yeah. you know so it's pretty easy to get there yeah i think from a, from a d100 perspective um the, the thing that i think it suffers from the most and this is all, all kind of all of them is it's got that same problem that saving throws has where it's just extremely arbitrary it doesn't really account for there's the variety of things you could be doing. And yeah, I, I think that isolates that. So as far as classes go, if I had to like, okay, we're doing the thief over again, fine. We could use one and six or, you know, a D six system. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter to me. Probably just use the lamentation system. Sounds great. Fine. Yeah. Um, skills and proficiencies. I think I actually, I really like fifth edition's skills like skill system mm-hmm. in terms of the rest of the skills yeah um and i think what's weird about that is that thieves basically <laughs> don't get anything too special they're just like everybody else so like you can have a, a wizard who's just as good at deception or yeah sleight of hand as a as a rogue yeah um that's kind of one of the things i love about fifth and one of the things i hate about it like it's like i do really like that like uh dr Du stanner you can play a barbarian who has 16 intelligence proficiency in medicine you're as good as at it as anybody right, right. like uh which is awesome when you want to play a doctor who turns into a monster and right. eats people and i think what like the type of play you're talking about is optimizing for a narrative mm-hmm. And I think that fifth edition does that really well. Yeah. And one of the reasons it can do that so well is because flat math and the skill system, yeah, um, which cleverly enough replaced the need for a rogue specific skill system. What yeah. do they get in return? Backstab. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's okay. It's not the, it's the end of the world, you know. Yeah. You're still you're effective in combat. It's really fun. Yeah, cutting action's cool. Cutting action's great. Yeah, you get some cool stuff as a rogue. So I don't know. I, I feel like this. I like if we had to have a class with skills, 
separated from everybody else's skills, skills. I would go with Lamentation yeah. style. If that was not a requirement, I'd go with fifth edition skills. I do like the way Lamentations, like uh, as a specialist, you can be like you, you know you don't have to take climb, you don't have to take open locks. You can be like I am a specialist who kicks down doors. I'm Johnny Door Kicker. I put all my points into open doors, and I'm just as good at it as the strong guy over. You know, like I like that. Oh yeah, the equivalency. Uh, one of the things I do really like about the fifth edition skill system, though, uh, that they mentioned kind of early on in the books, they kind of go out of their way to be like, um, you know, there are no skill checks. There are ability, ability checks. checks. Yes. And then you can add a proficiency bonus to that if you can convince your DM it's relevant. And they kind of go out of their way to say, like, look, listen, um, I think the other day you were saying, like, you can do dexterity sleight of hand, but you can also do intelligence sleight of hand. Or charisma, or charisma sleight of, sleight of hand, of hand. yeah. Uh, and you know, like I don't, we don't even really need to explain how each of those three differed because I feel like it's just very intuitive and it's great as a DM to be like, oh yeah, this is a, you know, um, this is an animal handling check because you're trying to calm a wild horse, but, but you need, strength, yeah, animal handling you need check, to right. wrestle this horse to the ground. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really cool. Unfortunately, they basically like they bring that up and then they basically ignore it. And then on the character sheet, it's like decks, acrobatics, like, you know, it's they really nail everything together, which is not, uh, you know, it, it really sells the idea short. I think I really, really like the idea that those things can be separated. Um, I, I, I would, yeah, I, I think like I, I get, I, I get why they did that. It makes a lot of sense to have the default be available for easy rolling and quick go. I, the problem with it is that it then turns into the players going, "I want to make a perception check," and they like, and the DM doesn't have the tools or whatever to yeah. say, I, "Don't roll if I don't ask you to." Yeah. Um, but then also has the problem of saying, "Okay, like make a perception check." Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you're not even going there. You're not saying wisdom. wisdom. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think, like, a, as a DM, if you can figure out how to tuck that into your toolkit, you're going to be fine with it. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to matter. But then you're going to get on D&D &D Beyond, and you're going to be like, well, how do, how do, do I roll that? Yeah. And there's no tool for that. On no. There. So yeah. I think that's the that's the gotcha with that. I think we've we've circled the drain of skills quite a bit. Sure. So we can move on at this point. We're getting on in time here. Um, we did want to give a brief uh, shout out. Uh, a sorry you didn't honorable <sighs> mention. Moment of silence. To, moment of silence to fourth edition yeah. and Pathfinder, who have found only token reference in our collective examples, largely because I didn't really play fourth edition. I was married. And in service of my <laughs> wife and her children, sure. at the time yeah, that fourth edition was out, and houses. yeah, yeah, I was being beaten down by corporate, yeah, marriage, <laughs> it's, it's corporate marriage, yeah. corporate marriage, yeah, um, yeah. I I will say uh, just to kind of shout out two things that I like from Pathfinder First Edition and from Fourth Edition D and D. Uh, in Pathfinder, I thought it was great that they went back and they really gave every level, every time you level up in Pathfinder First Edition, yeah. something cool happens. Yeah. Uh, which is great because in Third Edition, it was not that way. <laughs> no, that's fair. Second yeah. Edition, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And like, you know, the, the class feature bloat, like the options bloat in fifth edition is a real, you know, it's, it's there and it's not awesome, but, and it kind of stems back to Pathfinder a little bit, but that was something at the time that I was like, this is really great. And I think finding ways to kind of like bring those options in is important. One of the things I liked out of fourth and like you, I never played, but uh, I did read it pretty extensively. Um, MOOCs. Do you remember the MOOC rules? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, I'm working on a Troika adventure right now, and I'm kind of tempted to just be like, yeah, MOOC rules. They all have one stamina. If you hit them, they're dead. Like, uh, I feel like that works really, really well. Narratively, there's just, there's so many times when you want to just be like, yeah, you just, you have to fight the goons. Like, you know, like this, this is, you fight the goons, and now you get through to the boss. Like, and you don't want to take a long time with the goons. You just want people to feel badass. And, you know, um like i th- i think that giving those henchmen 1 hp is a brilliant idea out of four yeah yeah no it's a i think that's been carried over by enough people at this point mm-hmm. into fifth edition yeah. and other systems it's yeah it's it's such a good idea i think it transcends system yeah yeah um my one of the things that i thought when i first was exposed to fourth edition the mm-hmm. ideas in it was oh man this looks really cool I wish I, I wish I could play this video game. Yeah. And uh, what I did actually try playing fourth edition once. And I remember being like, man, this game is awesome. It's too bad. It's unplayable. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, meaning there's so many cool things that can happen and that are like triggered off of each other. And it's got so much stuff going on. And as a mere mortal human, it is completely in- impossible for me to have all that in my head yeah. and do it and keep track of it and get it right. And I feel like 80% of the time that we were engaging with the rules of fourth edition, we were backtracking to repair oh, we something had we had missed. Yeah. And that made the game effectively unplayable for you know for the group I was with who was trying to adjudicate rules. And I remember at that point going, okay, never mind. We'll go back to Pathfinder. <laughs> and so I went and I grabbed Pathfinder and actually ran my first game back into D&D in 2018 after oh, a couple years of taking a break or whatever mm-hmm. was uh, was Pathfinder and it was the um, Strange Aeons Adventure Path. It was a Call of okay. Cthulhu style adventure path where they yeah, started yeah. off in this uh, insane asylum and we had a blast it was just so much fun we had a great time i got the occult uh book or whatever with the occult um character options and so yeah we just had a, a ton of fun playing it and then after that somebody played fifth edition with me and i was like oh oh they fixed D D. yeah and i was like okay cool so so we went to on a fifth edition but actually the big divergence from pathfire Pathfinder to fifth edition for me was going back to gridded combat mm. because when I played Pathfinder, I was just doing theater of the mind. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have stuff at the table. I got a map. Interesting. You know, some ideas. I think of you as like a, a real grid and minis guy. Like, or like, I just, that is a new, that is a, that is a recent, the last five years kind of development where after this friend of mine, played uh fifth edition he, he ran fifth edition for us and it was my first time playing it and he had minis and it was so much fun i just had so much fun playing at the at the table with the mats mm-hmm. and the stuff 
uh, that I was like, oh, dude, oh, I forgot about this because we used to play with minis in second edition. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we didn't have, I was broke. I didn't yeah. have like good minis. It was kind of shitty. I didn't like paint and stuff. So it was recently that I really got into painting the minis and building terrain mm -hmm. and doing all kinds of cool stuff. And so when I was running the games in California uh, before I moved up here, like Road to Valhalla, they had taken out this, they had to go take out this castle in, in Helheim. Mm -hmm. And so I built this like cardboard, yeah. like castle and painted it. That's cool. And they fought their way through it. And then like, once they took it, it was their castle. And so that's where they would, you know, mm -hmm. like go out of and stuff. And it was, I don't know. It, that strategic combat gridded combat became like it's another hobby yeah <laughs> in a way sure um and i hate the diagonal five foot i hate that i would rather have i would actually rather have hexagons or use a ruler yeah if i the games workshop use a ruler system is a lot of uh there's an appeal there is an appeal to it but it's absolutely too fiddly to yeah. bother with for i would say 90 95% of players really like, I, I don't the thing is, is i don't want to like you've said this before 5e combat's already slow yeah and stopping to have to do the rulers and the yeah. templates and stuff really slows it down even more that's one of the things in roll 22 where it's like give me a second i got to roll my 20 foot radius sphere for my fire you know it just takes so like long to be like how do i arrange this state the most of these guys without nailing my guys like it's just yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. There should be... Yeah, well, we can talk about that later. Uh, although, actually, I think this this is kind of our last... One of our last topics we were talking about. Theater of the mind and... I'm a hardcore partisan for theater of the mind. Yeah. I think it just... It makes everything faster and, like... You know, I, I'm not playing to play war games, right? Like, right. I, I want to I wanna get into the story. I want to get to weird stuff. I want to get to the jokes. I want combat to move quick. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. It comes down to what what are you at the table for? What are you trying to do at the table? Yeah. And there is a contingent of people at the table who are there to play war games. Yeah. And there is another contingent of the table who is there to do improv comedy. Yes. <laughs> and you are in that other yeah. group. You're yeah. in that latter group. But I'll tell you, I'm there. I'm there for both of them. Yeah, like I like both. I, yeah. I, I do really ap appreciate and enjoy when a combat is clear and well won or or challenging. I, mm -hmm. I like it when it's like hard to think through and like figure out the way to win. You know, the right yeah the solution to the problem. Uh, combat as a puzzle has an allure. Uh, has an allure. It, it definitely makes me feel smart yeah. when I get things right, or it makes me think about things in new dimensions, and that's that feels like I'm learning things like that. Interesting. So I think that you know. Um, I think the the caveat with that is that just throwing down a mat of a grid and having a bunch of minis on it does not a compelling combat make. No. Right? Verticality is almost always, cover and verticality are kind of prerequisites to having an interesting combat. Mm -hmm. uh, and that doesn't really work very well in theater of the mind without some... Without doing a little bit of legwork. Yeah, a little bit of talking about a map or... you got to do zoning. Interesting. And so what I've seen work really well is zones mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, okay, so the combat scene is broken up into here's the main the bridge, floor. Here's the side of the cliff. Here's that side of the cliff. Exactly. Or like 
the you're in the office so there's the main floor there's the desk area yeah. there's the closet you know door uh and those are like the three areas and mm -hmm. then you've got your exit okay where are you standing where are you going within these zones and using those to represent how cover and distance and things work but again that's kind of the you know you, you gotta be willing to go there get there figure out how you're going to describe it and then you could be using at that point a tactical venn diagram right where you're like tactical venn diagram has a nice <laughs> i think uh yeah or flowchart that's, flow chart. that's yeah, the like... name of our of our vietnam rpg we're about to write right tactical venn diagram oh man uh all right let's recap what what is the what is your frankenstein D D? my frankenstein D D, I i think is largely fifth edition yeah it, it is it's got the okay. skills it's got the saving throws it's got the flat math. Yeah. Um, you know, I I like the spell lists from older editions. I think sure, I would probably yeah. pull some good spells from second edition and, and different things. I'd probably ditch feats and do custom feats. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I think by and large, you know, what what else is there? Like yeah. saving throws. I think the fifth edition saving throws are fine. I think for me, I do the classes from BX. I do skill systems from Lamentations. I do saves from third. And uh, I think I definitely want to keep some things from fifth, like advantage and disadvantage, I think is a fantastic rule. Uh, and yeah, you know, there is, you're, you're right. There is something to be said about how some other classes get to access that thief magic in fifth edition. Um, maybe backporting the, the background system could be an interesting way to kind of help. With I, I think backgrounds are the weakest way that that's done, actually. I think I, so? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that that's like how it's done, but I think backgrounds are a low flavor. Like they're they're not as cool as they could be. They'd actually be more interesting if there was more in backgrounds. I think mm -hmm. I'd like, yeah, I I'd like the idea of backgrounds as classes. Yeah, interesting. Like then, you take a then you're getting level. way into like Troika land where yeah. it's like you just yeah you, yeah. But um, psionics. Oh God, Carcosa. It's got to be Carcosa. Carcosa's got great psionics. Yeah. Uh, so you heard it here, folks. The, the 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 right Frankenstein is Carcosa. Oh God, <laughs> don't play Carcosa. Don't play Carcosa. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. Anyway. It was super fun hanging out with you again, dude. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, if you are a fan of our work, you can pick it up on Drive mm -hmm. RPG, itch.io, or on our website at watcherdm.com. Mm -hmm. You can also go join our Patreon, yeah. uh, patreon.com slash watcherdm. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with our work, you should check out our new adventure guide uh, playlist on YouTube where we're adding adventure guides for yeah. all of our new stuff. Walk you through all the individual adventures. Yeah. Um, we are working on new adventures uh, right now. So I'm working on uh, Horde of the North Wind for 5th mm -hmm. edition. That's going to be coming relatively soon. I'm also finishing up Miss Quinn's Strange you Sweets. Are. Yeah, yeah. With, uh, as a collaboration with the Rookie DM yeah. that we started years ago at this point. Long time. Long time. Uh, with art from Maya uh, uh Babineau, uh, who did the art for Doom Desert. So yeah. really cool uh, to reconnect Fantastic with that. Art. Really good stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I think uh, we're still plugging away at doing uh, Revengers Disassembled for yep. Troika. Mm -hmm. 
So expect more things in 2024 yeah. from Watcher DM. Also, go check out our bloody Bell Boots Boogie Kickstarter, which you can go follow now. Once we get to a thousand followers, we're going to go live with it. So get your thousand friends and come join us. Yeah. And come join us this to this next Tuesday. So it'll be the next Tuesday after this comes out, October 31st at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We will be doing a live drawing for uh, 10 print versions of Quest Crawl. It'll be a giveaway. It's a great game. So it is a great game. We played it. We enjoyed it. It is actually being entered into a bundle that will be available soon. Um, but if you want to get your hands on Rare, these are the only available from us, print versions of the Quest Crawl zine. Uh, we're giving away 10 of them. To get your hands on them, you need to go to the Quest Crawl tutorial video and comment, enter me in the drawing uh, into that video before October 31st, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, at which point we will be picking our 10 winners. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yeah. Uh, and if, uh, yeah, I, I hope you'll subscribe. I hope you will like, I hope you will comment and do all of the digital things that we we're supposed to do. But most importantly, I hope you enjoyed hanging out with us. We enjoyed hanging out with each other in front of you. Yeah. And if you comment in the comments section, then we will comment back and then we will be hanging out a little bit. Uh, we'll totally hang out with I you. I would like a lot. Austin would like, would like to argue with you on the internet. Yeah, I yell at people on the internet so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, uh, I think as they say in the south of France this time of year. What do they say? Stay weird. Stay weird. All right.